austerity budget that either cobbles or coddles the NYPD. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And one of the biggest issues, as we just were talking about, was funding for the NYPD and whether to uh, reduce that budget um, and whether the changes in the budget that the mayor and council agreed on actually reflected a real reduction. And now to dig into that deeper, and I think we have her on the line. Yes, we do. Uh, Ju Hyung Kang, who is the director of Communities United for Police Reform. That is a umbrella group, a, a gathering of a multitude of other organizations and agencies that work on police reform and criminal justice reform. Uh, Ms. Kang, welcome to Maxim Murphy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, so we just heard from Brad Lander and, and he gave some of his critique of the way the budget treated the NYPD. What's your take on it? I mean, the first thing I would say is that the city council completely failed uh, in terms of this budget. They had a historic opportunity to cut at least $1 billion from the NYPD's budget to reinvest that $1 billion plus additional savings, which could have been over $2 billion to reinvest those monies directly into Black, Latinx, and other communities of color who have been most devastated by the pandemic and who have been most consistently um, experiencing police abuse, not just during the pandemic, but before and we expect after it, unless we're able to rein in uh, abusive policing. And so that's the first thing. I think you probably know that um, over the, the past period, we've also been really denouncing what we call funny math that the city council and the mayor did to try to come up with the numbers um, that they claim uh, would have been $1 billion in cuts. And the reality is that where they landed is probably not even $50 million in real cuts, that the majority of what they um, are trying to claim for some, for some well, let me back up. Uh, Speaker Corey Johnson himself actually admitted yesterday that they did not cut even $1 billion from the NYPD budget. Um, of the amounts that they're counting as quote-unquote cuts, the majority of them are what we would call musical chairs of moving police from the NYPD to another agency in the city, including, for example, school safety agents moving them from the NYPD to DOE. That's not only not an actual cut um, because it doesn't reinvest money back into communities, but it's basically falsely uh, deceiving New Yorkers into thinking that there's some kind of change. Um, Other cuts Uh, or what they're calling cuts uh, are actually things that the NYPD is unlikely to um, stay within the budget confines for. So, for example, they are claiming that they will cut overtime uh, used by officers, and that's been something the council has uh, claimed in their budget multiple years in the past and has never been able to rein in NYPD overtime. In fact, we know that just the first weeks of the protest, the NYPD spent over $100 million, uh, or at the city spent over $100 million on the NYPD relationship to abusively and violently policing those protests. So um, it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors, and it's really unfortunate because we're in this period of not only the pandemic in terms of the uh, coronavirus, but really in terms of a emergency situation economically where so many New Yorkers have been devastated economically with a loss of jobs, with loss of income, with housing instability, with uh, the fear of eviction and also actual eviction. We've got a growing homeless crisis, homelessness crisis and housing affordability crisis in the city. There's a lot that um, reinvested monies could have done to really 
help New Yorkers out, especially those who have been on the front lines uh, of this pandemic, really serving the city. And instead, uh, the city council and the mayor really left them out to dry. So I want to we will dig into your fiscal analysis in a moment, but I want to get back to your power analysis that you started with, which is, you know, what Lander just said and what Speaker Johnson uh, said this morning was essentially that the mayor wields a tremendous amount of power in the budget process. And he just said no. And we we had no, you know, we had nothing to come back at him other than please. And he said no again. Um, you know, there there is some pressure precedent that the council does have a kind of weak hand when it comes to the budget, but you seem to be saying that Johnson and his colleagues in the council could have pushed harder. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's actually just abdicating your responsibility as city council and as elected officials to say that we couldn't do anything because this guy wouldn't let us. I mean, de Blasio is not their boss, and there are specific uh, mechanisms they could have used. In fact, the speaker and council members talked about it over the past several weeks. So, for example, similar to what Speaker Vallone did back when Giuliani was the mayor back in the 90s, they could have decided to pass their own budget and call the uh, mayor's bluff. And if the mayor wanted to threaten uh, the city council by saying that he would not fund any Schedule C discretionary funding or council initiatives, they could have brought that to the people because that money that he was threatening is not the council's money per se, it's the people's money. And so I feel like there were opportunities that they could have taken. What, you know, the reason for why they didn't, I don't know that I can speak to those. That's up to them. But there were opportunities they could have taken to be historic in this moment and really rise to the emergency crisis that we are facing not only now, but that we expect that we'll be facing for an undetermined period in the future. Let's um, dig in just a tiny bit more on, on some of what you would have preferred to see. Um, can you can you give us a few of the sort of big uh, big asks that were in your platform that did not happen um, in terms of the the cuts from the NYP that you wanted to see that that could then free up that funding for reinvestment? Um, you know, one of the one of the questions that was raised repeatedly by council members, as I'm sure you heard, was this idea that they didn't want to see. Uh, even sort of newly inaugurated uh, police officers, they said many of them, people of color from the city, they didn't want to see them fired. They didn't want to see school safety officers, many of them, people of color, especially women of color, given uh, pink slips in order to free up money. How do you respond to that? And, and what were some of your bigger asks? So I guess I'll go backwards on your questions. I feel like the um, point in terms of school safety agents, what they did with school safety in terms of the budget is they didn't save the city of New York anything. Right. So if they were going to move the NYPD, uh, school safety agents from the NYPD to Department of Education, what they could have done instead was actually, I mean, this is just one option, right? There's multiple ways to think about this creatively. But what they could have done instead was take all of that money, make sure that every single school safety agent had um had their salary paid for the next fiscal year because that's essentially what's happening right now and really thought through a creative six month, you know, over the next three to four to five months, thought through a transition plan that would have made sense while shrinking policing and then guaranteeing that those school safety agents were prior school safety agents had other kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, I think part of what we're pointing at is that there was no attempt to really shrink policing. Um, in this city. And that was part of the primary demand. Reinvestment was one part of the primary demand, but some of it was we had just come out of a period not only of a few weeks 
where people across the country saw the level of regular violent and brutal policing tactics that the NYPD was using against protesters. And that in and of itself, I think, opened up the eyes of many New Yorkers who had been asleep thinking that the NYPD had been reformed to understand that this is not an issue of just a few bad apples. This is actually a systemic issue of violence. So that even officers who may not have acted violently towards protesters were protecting their fellow officers by not reporting them and by not actually intervening in those incidents. And before that, you'll remember that there was policing, really, really abusive policing and and disparate uh, policing that there was the city was focused on in terms of COVID-related policing or COVID-related enforcement. So there's this systemic police violence that we're seeing in neighborhoods across the across the city and in all the protests. And so the bigger question is what was what we had an opportunity to shrink policing in this city. as part of the FY21 budget. Um, and that in and of itself would reduce some levels of abusive policing. And the council not only didn't take that, but actually we would argue expanded policing in some ways. Not only is policing no longer just within the NYPD, it's in other agencies, but one of the budget tricks that they used was actually an increase of revenue instead of a budget cut that was projected in terms of traffic enforcement by moving traffic enforcement agents from uh, specific responsibilities, for example, uh, guidance and traffic flow at intersections, into direct enforcement jobs where they're going to be tasked with actually ticketing people. And so we actually got something worse in some ways than what we had before. Talk about, along the same lines, the, the figure of a billion dollars, which is what people became focused on. And it's worth noting that that... That discussion about making a really significant cut to the NYPD budget, I think, predated the George Floyd uh, murder and the protests because it was a reaction to the fact that, you know, in light of the pandemic, the mayor was cutting everything but the police department, that it was sacrosanct somehow. So we have this figure of a billion dollars. Was that primarily symbolic as a number or did that relate to some particular change to the NYPD headcount? that would force a particular change in policing? Like, in other words, did that money, did that final figure of leaving them with $5 billion as opposed to $6 billion, that tied to some particular new vision of policing in the city? I mean, it's a few comments. One is it wasn't just symbolic. What we always said was that uh, cutting at least $1 billion from the $6 billion expense budget of the NYPD was the floor, not the ceiling. Um, it shouldn't have limited people's imagination within the city council in terms of how to cut from the NYPD, but the, you know, we did a report that gave one example of a possible roadmap to cut at least a billion dollars, which would have actually reduced the NYPD's headcount by several thousand. And part of that roadmap also includes uh, things like having a hiring freeze. I mean, it's actually, it's pretty outrageous that we're in this moment where everybody in the city has a hiring freeze. Every agency has a hiring freeze, as far as we know, certainly any of the agencies that are really interacting with the public whether it's including Department of Education. And so we've got a hiring freeze on teachers. We've got a hiring freeze on school nurses. We've got a hiring freeze on guidance counselors. And yet there's no hiring freeze on uniformed officers, which that's really actually about protecting the NYPD's budget and protecting the NYPD instead of protecting New Yorkers. I mean, you had mentioned 
we'd come out saying um, as soon as the pretty soon after the mayor uh, released his executive budget for our for fiscal year 2020 that after looking at it we realized that there was really complete protection of the NYPD in that budget the you know depending on how you were running the numbers we were either seeing that it was less than a zero point less than a half percent of uh, cuts to the NYPD being proposed while DYCD was being slashed by 48 percent or if you ran the numbers a different way there was actually a $500 million increase for the NYPD that was being projected. And so part of what we were trying to do in this campaign was not only reduce the footprint of policing in New York City, the abusive footprint of policing, um, and also reinvest monies into key community needs that are going to be needed for uh, communities to get to survive and thrive after, after this pandemic. But part of what we were also trying to do was say that this is, I mean, basically it's an unacceptable politics for the city to continue to protect the NYPD instead of New Yorkers. And what we saw, you know, most recently with this budget uh, vote yesterday is that there are many, uh, it seems that there are many council members who are more willing to ensure that the NYPD um, is protected than to make sure that young people in schools have enough teachers, nurses, and gun counselors. I do want to uh discuss the headcount just a tiny bit more um, and then get into some other things. But I do want to say, um, while I, uh, it looks like uh, all signs point to the fact that, as you mentioned, there's no hiring freeze for the NYPD, while, while it does exist elsewhere, the mayor did announce uh, skipping uh, a cadet class or two to reduce at least temporarily, and I think it's yet to be seen for how long that might last, but at least reduce temporarily the uniformed uh, PD headcount by about 1,160 officers uh, from its current 36,000 strong force. So will you say a little bit more about what you think the NYPD headcount should be and and um, what the path that you were advocating for reducing it was? Is that um, basically attrition plus a certain number of layoffs or, or what's I mean, the vision we there? We definitely advocating for attrition and a number of officer positions to be cut, but I, I, I need to go back to what the mayor is planning, which is part of sure. the smoke and mirrors about this budget. So the idea that he can say that the headcount is going to go down 1,100 officers is not something he can say. And the reason I'll say that is that there were four um, academy classes that were and I, I just want to make a distinction. When we're talking about the police, we're talking about academy classes, not cadets, because cadets are actually not officers. But the um, there were four planned for this year, uh, meaning FY21, that we're in, yet, in now. And there was one academy class that was delayed from last year. What's still unclear is whether or not they canceled only one class and are still allowing the canceled class from last year to roll over into FY21. Um, and graduate this year, or whether or not we're talking, either way, we're still talking about either three or four additional classes in the fiscal year of 21. There mm. are no enforceable caps on the number of officers who can be recruited into any one given class. So what the mayor is claiming is off of a projection <clears throat> based on what their projection was for what the July class would have been, is what it sounds like. He can't say with any confidence that the NYPD will not have a higher number of recruits in future classes. So we actually don't know that there will be necessarily a reduction in headcount in this year. And, mm -hmm. you know, part of our experience with this mayor since 2014 is that he says a lot. And 
very oftentimes when it relates to policing uh, is either misleading and sometimes a straight out lie. I mean, we've seen it, whether it's in relationship to egregious police killings, like the murder of Eric Garner and the number of years he spent lying to the public, saying that there was nothing the NYPD could do while the federal, while the DOJ was investigating, which we had always known was a lie. Um, And in fact, it was, we saw, you know, when Anthony Baez was killed in the Bronx in 1994 by Officer Francis Lavodi, the department actually fired him before the Department of Justice, the NYPD fired Lavodi before the Department of Justice moved its case, um, its federal case. And Lavodi was the last officer uh, that we can think of um, in the NYPD who was ever prosecuted and um, sentenced by the Department of Justice. And some of that was because they fired Lavodi first and the disciplinary trial provided evidence that the feds were able to use in their prosecution, their federal prosecution of Lavodi. So, you know, we're used to the, the mayor making misleading statements. Even him, you know, even this week, he's basically lying, claiming that they saved, they cut $1.5 billion from the NYPD budget that could be reinvested. I mean, those are complete magic tricks and fiction. So I guess I just want yeah, to... Yeah, really the council speaker him. dispelled uh, some of those claims himself pretty quickly. I mean, exactly. And so I, I just want to caution anybody in terms of saying, well, the mayor said this about the NYPD, because we have not seen a time where the mayor has said something about the NYPD where we wouldn't question it and ask people to look at the history of his remarks in terms of the NYPD um, and treat it objectively, which is that he has been misleading and he's also just straight lied. So I want to ask, you know, the budget now is done or it appears to be appears to be done. Um, and and now we go to implementation and to, you know, this this potentially long, hot summer for a city that's been, especially some neighborhoods, really beat up and devastated by this pandemic and by the economic fallout. And we do have, you know, rising indications of crime. I keep waiting for it to go down so I can say it was just a blip, but it, it seems not to be a blip. We know policing as we do it now is problematic. There's some better way out there to do it. But now, this summer, how do you want the city, the police department, the other apparatus that this mayor and council have at their disposal, how should they respond to rising crime? What would be the the way to do that in a humane and and sustainable and appropriate fashion, given that it does appear as though um, there are more murders and shootings going on in the city? Yeah, I want to I want to distinguish the statistics around shootings versus just generally saying rising crime, because I don't think that that's um, and I think you would agree the statistics aren't showing necessarily rising crime, quote unquote, crime <clears throat> along all areas. Um, and we are obviously not only concerned, but really alarmed by the increase in shootings. Many of our member organizations uh, are their bases um, and where we live are actually some of the neighborhoods where there have been increased shootings and nobody wants that we want to see that prevented. I think part of the problem that we have is that um, as a city, we have not come to the understanding that what reduces shootings is not just police. That has never been the, the, we, there's not really empirical evidence that you can point to just saying that the police are the ones who are the ones who are the ones who they're responsible for decreasing shootings, et cetera. What we do know is that there's been tremendous success in areas where the gun violence prevention organizations, so whether it's Life Camp in Queens or Man Up in Brooklyn, have operated out of in terms of their work to prevent gun violence. So I think that some of what 
is unfortunate is that there wasn't even more resourcing of some of those organizations within this particular uh, budget that was passed yesterday. There are many other ways to look at safety. And in fact, when we think about, you know, if you ask somebody, what are the safest uh, neighborhoods in New York City? Or if you have, if you have people think about what are the safest neighborhoods um, across the country, the common denominator in terms of safety is not more police. The common denominator is that those those communities have more resources. And part of our overall argument has been that Black, Latinx, other communities of color, and low-income communities have been defunded for years, if not decades, in New York City through the city budget. And that that is actually part of what has made communities of color, and particularly black communities most vulnerable in terms of the public health crisis we have around COVID uh, and experiencing disproportionate deaths because of COVID, but also disproportionate infections. And simultaneously, it's the... part of what the, the defunding of community apparatus and community infrastructure, whether it's public health infrastructure, whether it's affordable housing, is part of what's making people continue to be vulnerable. So we would actually say that when we think about safety in New York City, we've got to re- redefine how we're understanding safety to really ensure that communities have all the resources uh, that they need, that we need for every community member to be able to thrive and survive. All right, we're gonna unfortunately have to leave it there. Um, we have we have a lot more we we want to get uh, to uh, with you, but we'll we'll have to leave it there for time. And uh, of course, uh, at both City Limits and Gotham Gazette, we've got reporters ready to give you a buzz to to follow up on other stuff. But uh, uh, Ju Hyun Kang is the director of Communities United for Police Reform. We appreciate the uh, the time here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Okay, take take care. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world.